Well, good morning, Edmund Church family. And today, I, I thought about it, and I figured since it's Mother's Day weekend, I decided that I was going to put together a sermon based on a mother from the Bible. And as I, I looked through and I began sorting through this long list of possible choices that we have, I realized that I can't remember ever hearing a sermon on Mary, the mother of Jesus, in an Adventist church. Why is that? Is it because we think there isn't much that we can learn from her? Or maybe it's because we fear that since our Catholic brothers and sisters tend to maybe elevate her to a level that many of us might feel uncomfortable with, uh, we think that we should just stay away, steer clear of ever talking about her. Um, Whatever the case may be, I began to look at what the Bible had to say about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and I was astounded and convicted and blessed by what I found. So join me, dear friends, as we take some time this morning to look at Mary, the favored one. The first glimpse that we get of Mary in the Gospels is before Jesus was even born. The opening chapter of Luke's Gospel says this. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So when we first meet Mary, we all, all we know is that she is a virgin and she is engaged to this Jewish man named Joseph. And she's visited by the angel Gabriel. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Can you imagine if an angel showed up and said these words to you? Mary, in one sentence, is told that she is highly favored, she is blessed, and God is with her. I believe this is actually how God feels about each one of us, but because we don't, um, we don't always hear it verbalized, we're quick to forget about it, to deny it, or to disbelieve it. But in this instance, Mary had no choice. These words proceeded from the mouth of a holy angel that appeared before her. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, And considered what manner of greeting this was. Now, this Greek word that is translated as troubled also means to be perplexed in one's mind. It's almost as if Mary thought that this news was just too good to be true. Had the angel come to maybe the wrong person? Surely this angelic being didn't mean to deliver such a comforting message to a young, poor virgin who was just simply trying to make it in this world. Who was she to be approached in such a way? Who was she that God would find favor in her, bless her, and want to be with her? Then the angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. Now, I love Gabriel's response to her confusion. 
He tells her to fear not, reminds her that she has indeed found favor with God, and calls her by name so that there is no mistaking that this message has come to the right person. And then he drops the real bombshell. She is to be the mother of a child named Jesus. And who is this child? Gabriel tells us as he continues, he will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. So to any Jew living in this time, they would have immediately recognized that these words, this terminology that Gabriel is using, this is messianic language. Was she really supposed to give birth to the promised and longed for Messiah, the one who is to set the captives free? Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be? Since I do not know a man. Now, this is biblical terminology to mean that she has never slept with a man. She has never been intimate with a man. And notice that she isn't denying what the angel said is true. She simply doesn't understand how a virgin can give birth. I I think that's something that we all can relate to. Was there more to this or was she simply missing it? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. So this pregnancy would have miraculous and supernatural foundations. This child would be the son of God, yet in the form of man. And just in case a virgin pregnancy wasn't enough of a miracle here, the angel continues. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be possible. A virgin pregnancy, a menopausal pregnancy, two miraculous, seemingly impossible events. But Gabriel reminds Mary, as I believe he reminds us, when it comes to things that we believe to be impossible, don't count God out. When God comes to us with the different or the confusing or the mysterious, may we learn to react like Mary. Then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In essence, she says, I believe you and I'm here to be used by God. Now, a little time passes, and we find that Mary has gone to Judah to meet with Zacharias and Elizabeth. And yes, this is the same Elizabeth that Gabriel just mentioned. So the aged mother-to-be who was pregnant with John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, they, they meet together, and Mary and her, they joyously commune. And Mary bursts forth into song. And while quoting heavily from the Psalms and the prophets, this is what she said. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior. 
Here she quotes from Habakkuk as she rejoices in the name of God. She continues, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And here she quotes from Psalm 138. And notice that she refers to herself in a humble way, yet magnifies the name of God. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. Now she quotes from Psalm 103 and Psalm 98. And this is a prophetic saying about the kingdom of God, which the Messiah will bring. She continues, he has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Notice how she says all of this in the present tense, even though it is not the reality yet in this sinful world that we are living. But by stating these things as not future, but current, she is showing her faith in the will of God and her belief that even though she doesn't see it yet, it will ultimately come to pass. It's not a possibility, but a reality that will take time to roll out. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. So she remembers God's promises of old and she still trusts in them. Her son will be the fruition of many, many promises. So in Luke chapter two, the scenery changes a bit. Some time has passed, and we read in chapter 2, verse 4, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. Ladies, Can you imagine that? Having to give birth in a place far away from your home. Yet Mary didn't complain or lose heart. She continued to put her faith and trust in the promises of God that were given through the angel Gabriel. She gave birth in a truly humble setting and visitors soon appeared. They came to show their respect to the newly born king. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. So the shepherds who came to see Jesus went forth telling everyone they met about the newborn king. They, they couldn't contain their excitement and everyone who heard the news marveled at it all but not Mary. She kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Her time for marveling was soon to come, but for now, she took some time. This little line continues to teach me about prayer and meditation and even discernment. How often does something come to my attention for a brief moment in my day, and it causes me to just pause and go, hmm, hmm. In those moments, I find myself 
tucking these things away in my heart, knowing that God, through this tiny moment, is trying to teach me something, trying to tell me something. In today's fast-paced world, it has become harder and harder to stop or slow down so that we can just reflect and ponder within our hearts. In all the excitement and business of Jesus' birth, Mary saw the importance to tuck all the little things away. These little moments, tuck them away for reflection and also possibly a, a bit of comfort and nostalgia to help in the future when times weren't so great. But as I mentioned, the time for her marvel came soon enough. Her and Joseph, they soon took Jesus to the temple to offer a thank offering to God. And while there, they met a man named Simeon, who took the baby Jesus in his arms and sang out a prophetic song. When the song had ended, we are told, and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Oof. Good news and bad news, right? Did you catch that little bit that Simeon threw in concerning Mary herself? A sword would not pierce her body, but her very soul. We're going to move on from this for now, but hold on to this saying. Just take it and just tuck it into your pocket because we're going to come back to it here in a few minutes. But back to the narrative. Some more time goes by and Jesus is older. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. Hey moms, even the mother of Jesus, even this woman who was called highly favored and blessed, made a mistake. She lost the son of God. So, Mothers, I'm, I'm talking to you now. Take it easy on yourself when you find yourself making mistakes or messing up while you raise your kids, while you work with kids. As I always say, every mistake is an opportunity to learn and to grow. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So not only did they leave Jesus behind, but they kept traveling for a whole day before they got serious about locating him. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, I bet there was a little more pep in their step than what Dr. Luke describes here. I'm just saying. Now, so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Now, under Mary's concern for her child, I bet she had a little bit of holy pride 
welling up within her. As she watched her 12-year-old son literally school the religious leaders with his scriptural knowledge and spiritual wisdom. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother, Mary, said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Now this right here, this brings back memories for me because I can't count the amount of times that my mom said similar things to me. You parents, you love your kids, but it sure isn't easy raising them, is it? And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. The statement confused them, right? They, they just didn't get it. But once again, Mary shows wisdom in this situation. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them, but his mother kept all these things in her heart. Once again, Mary reflected over all that happened. The trip to Jerusalem, the start of the journey back home, the losing of Jesus, the finding of Jesus, the wisdom of young Jesus, the confusing response from Jesus. She took all these things and kept them in her heart for reflection, meditation, prayer, and remembrance. She contemplated the shepherds, lowly and smelly and rough around the edges, who came and knelt before the baby who had been kicking inside her womb, even though she'd been a virgin. She pondered the angel who had spoken to her and the message he brought, the quickening in her womb, and even the miracle of his cousin John. She pondered the trek to Jerusalem and the ancient prophecies. This wasn't tucking something away in the dark recesses of her mind, but rather a holding of them closely so that she could feel and touch and smell and taste them. Perhaps when the boys had played in the hayloft and come into the house sweaty and stinky, smelling like farm animals all over, she might have remembered the manger that he, he once laid in. Maybe when she went with her husband to the temple to offer sacrifices and she saw those sheep in the outer courts, the shepherds who had worshipped him came back to her mind. When the moon was full and the stars at their brightest, her mind may have wandered to the brightest star that she had ever seen only for a short time. And maybe, just maybe, her heart knew that she tucked the bright and morning star into bed each night. So many things happened to Mary in such a short amount of time, and she treasured it all in her heart. She wasn't missing a single moment, and each detail was being treated like a treasure. Mothers, are you binding up little treasure troves of moments and memories in your heart? Things to ponder, things to remember, things to thank God for. Oh, how we could all learn from this. If only we realized that each and every single moment is a gift. If we could only learn to slow down, to breathe, to come back to the present moment when we are feeling rushed and overwhelmed and in a hurry, receive every good moment as a gift and accept every hard moment as a part of the path that leads to peace. 
If only we learn to abide and to ponder, to be thoughtful like Mary. So back to the narrative, we fast forward again and find that Jesus is now a grown man. He's at a wedding and there's a problem. The wedding party has run out of wine. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Do you realize that Mary teaches us something beautiful here about the spirit of prayer? In this moment, she reveals herself as a tried and true woman of prayer. First, when a need or problem arises, she goes straight to Jesus and tells him everything. Second, she shows how simple prayer can be. To pray is to tell Jesus what we lack. And intercession is to tell Jesus what we see that others lack. Third, let us notice what she does after her one, two, three, four word statement. She did nothing else, right? When, when she told Jesus about the need of her friends, she knew that she didn't need to do anything more about it. She knew that she did not need to help Jesus by suggesting what he should or shouldn't do next or how he should or shouldn't answer the request. She knew that she didn't need to try and influence or persuade him. Lastly, notice how when Mary had presented her petition, she had done her part. As far as she was concerned, she was finished with the matter once she had left it with him. It was up to Jesus to figure out how to best help the host. Mary had never seen water turn to wine. She couldn't have imagined that that was even a possibility that that was even something that Jesus could do. She simply knew him well enough and knew that he was never at a loss of what to do in a difficult situation. This lesson from Mary, this spirit of prayer teaches us that we should disregard the question as to whether uh, something is hard or easy for God to fulfill our requests. What we think or don't think has no bearing on God's answering or hearing of prayer. Even more, I believe that it is destructive to our prayer life. We waste time and strength worrying about things that are not our concern and that God has not asked us to be concerned about. When you see a need or problem in your life or the life of someone else, bring that problem to Jesus and leave it there know that he has the best solution already in his mind. It's not our job to worry about it. It's not our job to try and tell him how we believe he should respond. He has solutions that oftentimes we have never even dreamed of. Near the end of John's gospel, we see Mary again. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. Do you remember Simeon's prophecy from earlier? Go ahead and pull that out of your pocket. That, that prophecy where he said that Mary's soul would be pierced. Tradition holds that Mary suffered seven sorrows. Her flight to Egypt to escape the infanticide. Simeon's prophecy that her heart would be pierced her soul would be pierced. 
those panicked days in Jerusalem when she thought she had lost Jesus in the crowd, walking with Jesus to Calvary, watching her son's execution, holding his broken body in her arms and placing him in the cold, dark tomb. Seven sorrows. That's a lot of heartache. But I can imagine that there was even more than that. Sometimes I fear that we make the people in the Bible out to be, you know, nothing more than cardboard cutouts. Caricatures of the real, breathing, feeling, emotional, spiritual, and struggling human beings that they were. We say that Mary was a virgin, or that Mary was the mother of Jesus, or that Mary was blessed, and we are correct in saying all those things, but it's not the full story. Our own life experiences tell us otherwise. Now, I can't say this from personal experience, but I know plenty of mothers, and I know the son of my mother. Motherhood is a joy, yes, but there's more to it. There are sorrows that come from motherhood. And I believe that Mary experienced these same sorrows that all mothers through history have experienced. Mary must have felt sorrow when her son left home to travel and teach for God. When he nearly died fasting for 40 days in the wilderness. When Jesus responded to the announcement to his mother's presence by saying to his disciples, who were my mother and my brothers? Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. He was making a point and she must have known, but still it had to pierce her heart just a little bit to hear that. And as every mother knows, Mary also experienced the daily sorrows of motherhood. The first bruised knee, the mean words of other children, the frightening illnesses, the confused eyes of a little boy the first time he witnesses injustice, cruelty, or the suffering of others. The gifts she wished she could give him, but she couldn't afford. The memories she wished she could preserve forever, but she forgot. The disappointments she wished with all her heart she could stop. Sometimes I imagine Mary breathlessly recounting Simeon's strange prophecy to her friends as they sit under the shade of a tree, nursing their suckling babes, only to hear the other mothers in the group laugh and say, what kind of prophecy is this? You are a mother, of course your heart will be pierced. It will be pierced every single day. Fittingly, Mary watched her son's crucifixion in the company of other mothers. The gospel writers describe them as being both at a distance and close by. At one point, Jesus looks at Mary and says, woman, here is your son. The cross is a complicated and terrible thing there at the cross. The God of the universe experienced every imaginable suffering of his creation right down to the sense of isolation and betrayal when the divine seems far or hidden. Because of the cross, God's fellowship, God fellowships in our suffering and we fellowship in his. Because of the cross, we can never say that God doesn't understand that he doesn't know the sorrows of this life. In this moment, when Mary's eyes locked with the eyes of the boy she once nursed, once tickled, once fell asleep with, I imagine that Jesus understood the suffering of mothers, which is perhaps the most powerful suffering of all. 
Mary was not the first nor the last mother to hold the lifeless body of her child in her arms. She was not the first nor the last to weep in the company of mothers as they staggered to an open grave. It happens every day. When famine claims the life of another child, when the way to early arrival of blood brings the end of a pregnancy, when cancer strikes yet again, when the phone rings late at night and the news is not good, it is pain that pierces the heart, pierces the very soul. And yet because of the cross, it is the pain that we know God understands. Because of the cross, we know that this world's sufferings will end. The sorrow of motherhood or fatherhood or life in general were never meant to be this way, but God was willing to sacrifice himself in order to give us the life that he had originally planned for each one of us. Because of the cross, we can have hope amongst sorrows, joy through tears, and faith through uncertainty. So hold your loved ones close and remind them, remind each other that in God's eyes, we are all favored, we are all blessed. Remind them that God is with us, even through the sorrows of life. There is power, hope, and life in the cross of Christ. And because of that, I can tell you to go in peace. Amen. And amen.